You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As I mentioned earlier, we're in the second part of this mini-series on parenting. We'll be looking at what is largely considered the main New Testament text on parenting. Most of you know that my wife and I have six children between the ages of one and ten, and you can imagine that that makes us quite the spectacle when we are out together in public. We get a lot of backward glances when we're out on a family walk or a family bike ride. You see their faces and they smile at you and then they say, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. We get a lot of curious gazes at restaurants. And when we actually get a chance to sit down and talk to people who are curious about the dynamics of our family, they often ask this question, how do you do it? How do you do it? My typical answer is that I have an amazing wife. My wife is patient, she's organized, she is hardworking. Raising six children would not be nearly as fun or as organized or rewarding if I didn't have a wife who is as devoted to being a mother as my wife, Nina. But if I had the chance to sit down and have an extended conversation with those who wonder how we do it, I would add a few things. First, I would say it begins with love. It begins with love. Every day we try to find ways to show our kids that we love them, that we we see them, we're grateful for them, and we love them. That could mean giving them a hug or giving them a word of encouragement or spending some quality time with them or getting them a special gift. The next ingredient after love would be laughter. We want our home to be happy, a fun place to be in. We joke and we sing and we tickle and we linger around the dinner table and we tell stories and we laugh. And mom and dad, we go out of our way to laugh at ourselves because we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. The next ingredient would be God's word and prayer. We want to hear God speak through his word and we want to speak to God through prayer. We're going to address that later on in this series. And the last ingredient The last ingredient that I would add to how we do it, how do we parent six young children, this last ingredient is the one that we're going to talk about today. It is the one that parenting articles and books in our culture would rarely talk about. But it is one of the essential elements of godly parenting. And it is the issue of authority. Authority. We know It is essential because it is right there in the Ten Commandments. The Fifth Commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And Paul picks up on this in the New Testament. On the two occasions that he speaks about parenting in our text today in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, he cites that commandment and he explains how it is meant to be applied. The godly use of authority is absolutely essential to the flourishing of the family. Children need to learn how to obey, respect, and honor their parents. And parents need to learn how to teach, warn, correct, and direct their children. This isn't just about having an orderly household. This is about having a 
happy household. God says that he gave us his law for our good, including this law. And so the more parents use their God-given authority for its God-given objective in a God-honoring manner, the more our children will flourish. So the title of this sermon is Godly Authority in the Home. We're going to have three points today. First, the response to authority. Second, the warning about authority. And third, the purpose of authority. Now, verses 1 to 4 in chapter 6 fall within this larger context of Paul discussing what it means to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul wrote, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what he says next is one of the implications of being filled with the Spirit. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is one of the first signs of a person who is filled with the Spirit. They have a song of praise and worship flowing out of their hearts, out of their mouths, to declare God's praises. But as the Spirit works in our hearts, he also works in our homes. And then Paul then goes into after addressing one another in in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he says, submitting to one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the next sign of the spirit-filled life. Submission in the home that conforms to the pattern that we find in the gospel. Wives submit to their husbands as husbands love their wives, and children obey their parents as parents raise them up. Now, I point this out because... This reminds us that parenting is not just a pragmatic exercise. It is not just about the how-tos, about learning the right principles and doing them. Parenting is a spiritual exercise. It is about the spirit transforming the lives of both parents and children so that they not only do what is right, but they increasingly love what is right. That they don't just have the appearance of godliness, but the Spirit is actually changing their hearts to actually become godly. And I point that out because it's the same message that we heard last Sunday from Psalm 127, that if our houses are to be built, if our families are to flourish, we need the Spirit to work. And that should drive us to our knees. That should drive us to depend on the Lord. Now, another note by way of context Before Paul addresses children and parents, you look back in the end of chapter 5 and he begins by addressing husbands and wives. And part of the reason for that is, is because good parenting begins with a good marriage. Good parenting begins with a good marriage. There are wonderful single parents out there. Single parents who love their kids, who sacrifice so much, who work harder than anyone I know to raise up their children. I I commend the single parents out there. I'm so thankful that God has given you a heart for your kids. But where both parents are present, if mom and dad do not love one another, it's going to be really hard for the children to do well. It won't be impossible because God can do anything. He can raise the best children in the midst of the worst marriage. But if we want to raise our children according to God's will and God's ways, parents will give primary attention to their love for one another, to their marriage. 
If you think about it, a lot of parenting issues are actually marriage issues. A lot of parenting issues have nothing to do with the kid, his, his or her character or maturity. It has a lot more to do with the state of the marriage. Sometimes kids don't do well in school because they are lazy or their teacher isn't very good or they're distracted by video games. But other times they don't do well in school because mom and dad just had another argument. And they're anxious and they're afraid of what family life is going to look like when they get home. Sometimes kids disrespect their dad because they're proud or they think that they know better, but other times they disrespect their dad because they see their mom doing the same thing. If we are to be good parents, we must devote ourselves to a good marriage because it is the marriage that sets the tone in the family. This is why I often tell new parents, expectant parents, they're getting the nursery ready, they got the the baby shower plans, they're working their way through a strategic plan for feeding and sleeping schedules. I I remind them to not make this all about the baby. What this baby needs is for mom and dad to love one another and for that love to overflow in love for that child. Now let's look at our text. The first thing we should notice about verse 1 is that Paul addresses children directly. He doesn't say, fathers, make sure your children get this. Make sure that your children obey you. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit and therefore on behalf of God himself. And so what we see here is God speaking to children through the mediation of the apostle. This means that if you are a child, God wants to speak to you. God's word is for you. you. You can take up the Bible and read it like your older friends or like your mom and dad or like the pastors that you hear in the church. You can take up the Bible and read and God will speak to you. The Bible is for you. And he shows that that here when he says, children, children, I have a word for you. So children, you need to listen up when you're sitting in church because God is speaking to you. These aren't just words for your parents. Words for the grown-ups. These are words for you. That is especially true today as he addresses children directly. And he's not just speaking to little children. He's speaking to anyone who is still in their home being nurtured and raised up under the authority of their parents. And so this could apply to you if you are eight or it could apply to you if you are 18. If you're still living at home, dependent on your parents, under their oversight, then these verses are especially for you. And of course, the commandment to honor our father and mother never stops. Adult children are still to honor their mother and father, even beyond the grave. But this unique command to obey your parents is true for any who are still under the authority of their parents. Let me read verse 1 again. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What I want us to see here is that this is not a suggestion. This isn't Paul saying, Kids, I think it would be a good idea if you did this. Or, Family life would go a lot better if you just 
did what I'm saying here right now. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is a command. God is issuing a command to children. He's saying, children, this is what I require of you. Like a king inscribing a law and issuing it to his subjects in his kingdom. He's saying, this is the law of the land. And this is how you live in my kingdom. I want to show you three things that emphasize just how important this is to to help you see the authoritative nature of this command. First, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. He's saying that obeying the Lord includes obeying your parents. You are to obey them like you would obey Christ. In other words, Paul is saying obedience to your parents is part of your Christian discipleship. You you remember the Great Commission when Jesus says that the apostles are going to go out and they're going to teach, they're going to make new disciples and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Well, this is one of those commands. Obey your parents. You can't say you follow Jesus if you don't follow your parents. If you want to grow and mature as a Christian, and not just as a child in your household, but but as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you need to learn how to obey your parents. Second, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. When, when, When we use the language of right, we also use the language of wrong. This is a moral issue. Kids, you know that lying, cheating, hurting people, that's wrong. But you also need to know that failing to obey your parents is also wrong. Paul supports this by quoting the fifth commandment in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. God commands us to honor our parents. And when you're a child, that includes obeying your parents. But you know, sometimes we can obey on the outside but fail to honor on the inside, right? I use this analogy often because we see it once in a while in our household where there's outward conformity but inward rebellion. Yeah, I'll I'll do what you said, Dad, but as I do it, I'm going to whine, complain, and grumble. And everyone knows, including kids, that that is not honoring your parent, You're not obeying the fifth commandment. True obedience honors the one who is being obeyed. And so children or teenagers or young adults, if you are here and you think right now about times when you have either failed to obey your parents or honor your parents, you need to realize that you have broken one of God's commandments. And when we break one of God's commandments, it is called sin. And when we sin, our response to our sin is repentance. You need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin and you need to embrace God's will and commands for your life. You need to go to your mom or your dad and say, Daddy, I I didn't obey this command. When you told me to do my homework when I first came home, I didn't do that. Will you forgive me? Or, Mommy, I didn't have a good attitude when you asked me to help you in the kitchen. Will you forgive me? And you need to go to God and and confess that you have sinned, that you have failed to obey 
His command to acknowledge that you have done wrong and to not just let it slide, to not just forget about it, to not excuse it because you had a hard day. Kids, you are called also to repent of sin. And the promise of the gospel is that when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, kids, the more we know about our sin, the more we know about our Savior, the more we know of what he suffered in our place so that we could be forgiven and never rejected no matter how much we sin. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for you, just like it is sufficient for your mom and your dad. You confess to your mom or your dad, I guarantee you that they will look you in the eye and say, of course I forgive you. Thank you for confessing that you broke this command. And I love you. And I will always love you. God will always love you too. And that is why Jesus came into the world so that all your sins could be washed away. Paul gives us a third reason for obedience in verses two to three. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul is going out of his way here to point out that there is a promise attached to this command. If you honor your father and your mother, and note that it's honor your father and your mother, not just the one that you like better, not just the one who gives you what you want, but both your father and your mother, if you honor them both, then it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. I mean, who doesn't want that? For life to go well with you and to live long in the land, to live to, the, to, 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 live to be an old man or to an old woman surrounded by people who love you. Now, there are exceptions to this, of course. There are godly kids who die young. There are godly men and women who die young, who fear the Lord, who turn away from evil, and yet they get cancer, or they die in a car accident. There are exceptions to this. That's part of the lesson of the book of Job, which we spent the last several months studying. But the general pattern is that if you obey your parents, you will live a long and happy life. And there are several reasons for this that we can understand as human beings. You learn to respect authority, then you're going to be able to do really well in the workforce. You won't be able to, to succeed in the workforce if you don't know how to respect authority. You also learn how to set aside your own preferences for the good of those around you. And that is essential for any loving relationship, including marriage. And most importantly, you learn what it means to honor God. And the Bible says that God honors those who honor him. Kids, God is speaking to you today and he is saying, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Kids, obey your parents in the Lord for you will be blessed. And when you don't obey your parents, don't run away from God. Run to him through Christ. Confess your sins. Put your trust in Christ. And God will forgive you. And God will show you again and again his unfathomable 
endless love. Now, Paul spends the rest of this text addressing how authority is to be used in the home. He turns to the parents, and he begins with how authority should never be used. This leads to our second point, the warning about authority. Now, notice who Paul addresses in verse 4. Paul addresses the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is an intentional choice on the Apostle Paul's part. He is addressing fathers directly, not because their wives aren't present. We know they're present because in chapter 5, Paul addresses wives directly. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So the, the, the wives are present with their husbands as this letter is being read to the believers in Ephesus. It's also not because moms don't have authority. He's not addressing fathers in the use of their authority because moms don't have authority. That's not true. Because the children are called to obey their parents, to honor father and mother. And so the only reason that we can see why Paul addresses fathers directly is that they're the ones who bear the primary responsibility for raising the children. That is the only conclusion that we can get from this text. Fathers bear the primary responsibility for raising the children, not the grandparents, not nannies, not daycares, not schools, not Sunday school teachers, not youth pastors, not even mom. Fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Bible never envisions the father being the strong but silent provider. Never. The father is meant to be active in the home. He is teaching his children. Every day he wakes up with a sense of responsibility for the well-being and maturity of those that God has entrusted to him. Now, the reality is that most mothers will spend far more time with the children than the father, especially when the children are young. And that is a good thing. That is a beautiful thing. Titus 2 talks about younger women being trained in the church to love their husbands and their children because they're often working at home, from home. Not always, but often. They could be homeschooling or working from home or running their own business. Whatever it may be, mothers are typically more involved in their children's lives than fathers. That is a practical day-to-day reality, and that is good. But when dad comes home from work, or when dad is home on the weekends, it should make a complete transformative difference in the dynamics of the home. Dad should be present and active. He should be leading his family, teaching his children, and helping them grow as disciples of Christ. My friends, we know this, that too many fathers are passive, where the father's presence makes absolutely no difference to the lives of the children because he is just not invested in their lives. He may be fully invested in his work, or in his business, or in his sports teams, but he is not invested in his children. Fathers, God's word calls you today to a different standard, to a higher standard, a standard where your wife and your children look to you to provide leadership in the home, not just to provide, but to guide. Not just to rest 
from your work when you're at home, but to raise up the children that God has entrusted to your care. And as you do, you must heed the warning in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. If you know the book of Ephesians, you know that Paul has a special concern about temptation to sin, unrighteous anger, the temptation to let anger open up the floodgates to all kinds of sins and to make us more susceptible to the devil's lies. You remember in Ephesians 4? Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give an opportunity to who? To the devil. Anger opens up the floodgates to Satan's influence in our lives and to the temptations that he would bring before us to break more of God's commands. And here in verse 4, Paul is saying that those floodgates can open at home because of fathers. Fathers, you must not provoke your children to anger. I mean, much has been said and written about how we live in a generation and culture of angry people. People are either angry or they're afraid. And I wonder if one of the reasons why we live in a generation of angry people is because they have grown up in homes where the fathers have either provoked their children to anger because of their passivity or they have provoked their children anger because of the, they have abused their authority. They've either abdicated their authority or they've abused their authority. Either way, children have grown up angry that their father wasn't present. Well, how do we provoke our children to anger more specifically? Well, in his commentary on Ephesians, Andrew Lincoln provides some very helpful examples. Excessively severe discipline. Unreasonably harsh demands. Abuse of authority. Arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation. Subjecting a child to humiliation. And all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Fathers, has has this been you? At times, have you used excessively severe discipline? Have you humiliated your child either in public or in private? Are you constantly nagging at your children and reminding them that when you were a kid, you never did that? And fathers, you need to repent. You need to recognize that you have failed to represent our Heavenly Father to your children because he does not provoke us to anger. We provoke him to anger and his anger is satisfied in the sacrifice of his son so that there is no more anger. Our Heavenly Father is not harsh. He is not arbitrary and he is not unfair. He is kind. His discipline is loving. His correction is tender. He does not tear down his children. He builds them up. All that he does is done in love. Fathers, we are to raise our children in the same way that our Heavenly Father raises us, 
Because if we do not, we will provoke our children to anger. And there will be times when we do this because we are not perfect men. We are not perfect fathers. And so when we provoke our children to anger and we say harsh things or we treat them unfairly or we neglect them in the home, we need to take responsibility. Fathers, one of the most powerful things you can do for your child is to model how to ask for forgiveness. To say, son, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? To confess to your children is an opportunity to humble yourself and to show your kids that you are just as much in need of the grace of God as they are. We must not provoke our children to anger. Instead, we are to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which leads to our final point, the purpose of authority. Verse four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers and mothers, this is where we get our marching orders. Authority is always delegated for a purpose. And here we see that authority is delegated to us by God so that our children would be brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We do not have authority so that our house can be the way that we like it. We do not have authority so that we can call the shots on movie night. We don't have authority so that we can exert control and make our kids live in such a way that they make us look good. We have authority in order to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word, the Greek word for bring them up is the same word Paul uses in Ephesians 5 verse 29 when he talks about husbands nourishing their wives. We are to nourish our children, nourish the souls of the sons and daughters that God has entrusted to us so that they grow up they grow up spiritually and become more like Christ. That is, that is our responsibility as parents, fathers and mothers to help them grow up spiritually. That means teaching them to serve, to share, to pray. It means teaching them to be humble, to be grateful, to be responsible. And it means teaching them to obey us and honor us. This command that God has issued to children is up to us to facilitate in their lives, to teach them to obey and honor. Now, in the Tong household, that means we expect our kids to respond to our instructions the first time we give them, without complaint and without question. They may have questions, but their obedience should not depend on us answering their questions because then it's no longer obedience. It is persuasion. And there is a marked difference between obeying your parents and doing what they want you to do because they've convinced you that it's the right thing to do. There is a fine line between being inquisitive and being rebellious. If my son wants to understand why I've given him a certain instruction, I still expect him to start doing what I told him to do before I provided my answer. Because my job is not to persuade him. His job is to obey I may persuade because I want him to understand the goodness of the instruction I've given him, but his obedience should not depend on that. 
We are to raise up our children to obey all of Christ's commands, including the command to obey their parents. Now, verse 4 gives us two tools to do that. The first is discipline. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for discipline literally means training. That's why in certain translations, you'll actually hear this word translated as training. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. The reason why discipline is used in this context, because this word is often used in the domestic context, talking about parental discipline. So it's not wrong to translate it as discipline. But we need to remember that the true meaning of it is training because that shapes how we go about discipline. Discipline is not about punishment. Discipline is not about giving your kids what they deserve. Discipline is not about paying them back for how they offended you. We discipline our kids to teach them and to train them. Discipline is not punitive, it is instructive. And that completely changes how we go about it. We do not discipline out of anger or wrath or raised voices. We don't shout at them. We discipline them with patience, with tenderness, and with instruction. We can calmly explain why they're being sent to their room or why they're going to get spanked. And we can make it clear to them that we're doing this not because we don't love them, but because we do love them. We provide instruction, and that is the second tool. We raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for instruction here can also be translated admonition. The training and the admonition of the Lord. An admonition is a serious warning about the consequences of foolish or sinful choices. This instruction can come as you're reading the Bible together and as you see some of the sinful patterns reflected in the characters in Scripture. This instruction can come after you watch a movie together and you're reflecting on some of the moral lessons of the story. It can come when your children have made their own foolish or sinful choices and you need to warn them about what is going to happen in their lives if they continue on the trajectory that they're on. Whenever this instruction comes, we must never forget that this is why God has given us parental authority. It is to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our goal is not to raise up disciples of mom and dad. Our goal is to raise up disciples of Christ himself. And so our standards, our personal preferences come secondary to the standard that we find in God's word. When when we discipline our kids or when we instruct them, it is not because we want to fix in them things that bother us things that we'd rather not see in their lives. We, we measure them instead, their character, their state of maturity, by the standard of God's word. If we are to use our authority in a way that honors God. In his commentary on Ephesians, Peter O'Brien writes this, ultimately the concern of parents is not simply that their sons and daughters will be obedient to their authority, but that through this godly training and admonition, their children will come to know and obey the Lord himself. That is the goal. And I know parents, we don't always see this or recognize this in in the daily warfare of parenting. We're just 
trying to survive. But when we zoom out and we see the forest again, we remind ourselves that we want them to obey and love and honor Christ. We want them to live lives of worship to God. And let let that lone star guide us in our parenting. So let me end with a word of application to children, to mothers, and to fathers. First, for the kids. Kids, if you're anything like my kids, I'm guessing that you find it difficult to pray for yourself. You're happy to pray for your friends, pray for your family, pray for your church. Uh, we, We pray often for different topics in our household. Every day we have a different topic and we pray for that. But when we get to the one where our kids pray for themselves, they're speechless. They don't know what to pray. Well, let me encourage you to start praying that God would help you to honor and obey your parents. Make it something that you pray for yourself regularly, if not every day, because it is so important When God speaks to you in his word, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. And so that should be our desire. That should be your desire and your prayer to pray that God would give you a heart to honor and obey your parents. And when you fail to do that, you can confess your sin to God, knowing that he will not reject you. God already knows all your sins anyways but he wants you to know your sins as well so that you would more clearly understand and respond to and rejoice in what Christ has done to pay the penalty for all of your sins. Second, my word to the mums. Now, we have a church that is full of strong, capable, wise, prayerful, devoted mums. What, what a precious gift you are to our church and to your families. Thank you for investing so deeply into the lives of your children. It is a unique and precious gift to have devoted mums who love God. If I have one exhortation for you, it is this. Help your husband lead the family. You are capable and you are wise and you could... Lead the family yourself. You could, and you could do a good job. But in so doing, you have neglected, possibly, to fulfill your role as your husband's helper, to help your husband exercise his God-given role to lead his family. Your husband may not be a good leader, or he may have a history of being passive in the home, or he may exert himself so heavily in the workforce that he, it seems like he has nothing left to give when he gets home. And you can either respond with bitterness to that or resignation, or you can respond by helping him to grow. Ask him if you could sit down once a week to talk about how your kids are doing and how you together can parent your children to grow in an area of weakness Or when you run into a parenting issue, when you're homeschooling or you're talking to your kids on the drive home or or whenever, go to him and ask him for counsel and for prayer. Uh, My my encouragement to you, moms, is to draw your husband into leading your family and be patient with him as he seeks to grow. 
Lastly, a word to the fathers. Men, we have a sacred responsibility to lead our homes and to raise our children. It is a sacred responsibility and it is a special joy because we have the opportunity to show our kids what our heavenly father is like. And our heavenly father is not passive. And our heavenly father is not obsessed with power and control. Our heavenly father loves us. He sings over us. He tenderly comes. And even in his discipline, he loves us. I encourage you fathers to take the lead. Take the lead when the kids are acting up at home. Don't wait for your wife to do something. Personally, I ensure that my wife never has to discipline the kids herself when I am home. Even if she is on the way upstairs, marching the kids upstairs to their room, I say, honey, let me take over. Let me step in. And let me address this child. We should take care of the discipline and we should take care of the instruction. Find some way to teach your kids the Bible. There are so many devotionals out there that you can just get one and begin just by reading it. In our household, we, we cycle through reading the Bible itself, reading devotionals for kids, and right now we're memorizing a catechism. We just cycle through different things. And I lead that time. When your son had a hard day at school when you're, or when your daughter's anxious about what people are thinking about her, you take them aside and you talk to them. Fathers, you should be the main influence in the lives of your children. Not Netflix, not their favorite pop stars, not the latest podcast. You, fathers, be the main influence in the lives of your children. And that takes time, it takes leadership, it takes love. But that is what God has called us to do. And the more we, we learn how to love our children that way, the more we know his fatherly heart. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded this morning that you do not call us to do anything that you do not do yourself. You're not just issuing commands and sitting back on your throne, but you are active in each of our lives. You care deeply about each individual. You love us with a steadfast love and mercy. And so I pray, especially for the fathers here, that we would raise our children the way that you raise your children. I pray for the mothers that you would keep them steadfast and give them a heart to help their husband to grow in leadership in the home. And we pray for the kids. We pray that the kids would have hearts that seek to honor and obey their parents. And in so doing, they would learn what it means to honor and obey you as their God and as our God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cast ourselves upon your mercy with expectation, knowing that you will work in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask you all to sit, except if you are a father, if you are a father, would you remain standing?
There are two great challenges to uh, a message that, like we've heard today. One of the challenges is that um, many of us have had uh, experienced a father that was either passive or harsh. Um, many of us have not experienced a godly father in our life, and therefore it's hard to know what fatherhood even looks like because we didn't experience it. So that's, that's a challenge to a message like this. The instinctive things that have been built into us are already there and they're not good. The second challenge to something like this is that uh, it's just easy to feel um, both challenged by a message like this, but feel overwhelmed, feel uh, like a failure. Uh, you uh, Just about everything you went through, you thought, well, yeah, I'm failing that too. Um, so you leave, you leave today feeling discouraged, but you don't leave in faith and you don't leave ready for God's help. Um, let me remind you of this. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him if he gave us his son, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Uh, he, he provides for what he commands. He's with you in this. He wants to help you in this. He can help you in this area. So I'd like to uh, read this familiar um, blessing. And this is a blessing where I believe God will not only this is not just a nice way to end the service. This is an actual prayer of blessing and grace upon you. And I'm praying that God's grace and blessing will, will fall upon the fathers in this congregation, even, even as I speak this over you. Fathers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We are dismissed. <laughs>